All right. Are you guys ready for the word? Come on, hold your Bible in your hands. Why don't you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Come on, lift it up. Wave it. This is your sword, all right? This is your weapon. This is your Tao. You know, there was a time when I was just praying and worshiping. The Lord gave me this picture that the cross, the cross became my Tao. And the Lord was saying, the cross is now your Tao. In the old times when you were headhunters, the Tao was a Tao. <laughs> but now the cross has become a weapon and God wants us to be soul hunters, not headhunters. Amen. Hallelujah. So this gospel is your sword. Hallelujah. Come, let's lift it up before the Lord. Say this with me. This is the word of God. This is the incorruptible, indestructible seed of God's word. It is filled with life and filled with power. And today, as I receive the word, I believe I'm receiving the wisdom of God, the power of Christ, and I'm receiving wisdom for eternity. Give me a heart that is humble and meek to receive and to do the word in obedience to you. Bless me, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. And you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. Today I'm going to share about forgiveness. The power of unforgiveness versus the power of forgiveness. This may be what we call a very pastoral message. Why? It's because as we shepherd the body of Christ, I've realized that many believers keep on experiencing challenges in the love walk, in forgiving or not forgiving. Because offenses sometimes is a daily thing. We keep on experiencing issues in life where we need to keep on taking care of our heart. See, sometimes when you eat food that is not healthy for you, you get indigestion and you get constipated. And if you're constipated, it's very uncomfortable because you do not feel free within. You haven't gone for many days. Unforgiveness is like that. When you have been hurt a little bit here and there, a little bit here, a little bit there, and you carry maybe for a month or two little offenses and bitterness in your heart, after a while you start getting spiritually constipated. And you don't feel free within. Can't sleep properly at night. Okay, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not sit to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So this is about God and us. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's about 375 tons of gold. It's about $16 billion. This servant has no way to pay this. 
that's the kind of debt you have towards God because of your sins. All of you. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. A hundred denarii is about today's $5,000. Small amount compared to 16 billion. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told the master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had had pity on you? Underline that verse 33. Should you not have treated your fellow servant the same way I treated you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. That means he was sent back to prison until he should pay all that was due to him. Keep your mind on verse 34. As a pastor, I've realized that often people are full of anger, hatred, bitterness in their hearts. Hidden. Much of it is valid, justified because of things they have experienced in life from people who have heard them. And sometimes that anger or that blame is even towards themselves for stupid mistakes they have committed, sins they have done that has brought destruction upon their own life. I've met countless believers who were bound in bitterness, unforgiveness because of hurts and offenses that they've experienced in their lives. And they continue to live in pain depression, the darkness of the soul. They continue to live in that hurt, unable to find joy and peace, unable to find freedom, having no light, no wisdom and understanding about what they are going through. And it's like their life has come to a standstill. They're not able to move ahead beyond that trauma, beyond that event, beyond that hurt and some of them border on mental illness either just extreme anger and hatred depression even becoming suicidal battling fear and panic and having irrational behavior because of the offenses that they have experienced many of them continue to remain sick in their bodies sick in their soul their emotions and their job their relationships and the business seems to suffer because of what they have held in their heart. In counseling them, I've often diagnosed that the root problem was unforgiveness. Everyone say unforgiveness. What they were going through internally as a result of the offense that they have experienced. And because of that unforgiveness, it was like they were living in a prison, an internal prison in their heart. As it says in verse 
33 or 34, I'm sorry. He was delivered to the torturers. So it's almost like they're living in a prison where they're being tortured every day within. The thought of that person, the thought of that event is like a thorn inside. It keeps on disturbing them. They're not free on the inside. They're in pain and confusion and conflict always within. Delivered to the torturers. First John chapter 2 verse 11 says, If anyone hates his brother, he's in darkness. And walks in darkness. And he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Not referring to your physical eyes, your spiritual eyes. See, what I've noticed is that when people are in anger and hatred and offense, they are in confusion also. They do not know how to go about life, how to make decisions because darkness has come into their hearts. And many times they end up making wrong decisions in business, wrong decisions in relationship, wrong decisions even in choosing education because you were angry with your father and out of your anger you said, I'll just do this. You made a decision in anger and now you're trying to walk in darkness and you're going to lead to more ruin, more ruin and more ruin. That's what the Bible says. If you hate anyone, you are in darkness. And you're going to walk in darkness. That means you're going to end up making wrong decisions. However, as I've also led many of these same people into simple prayers of forgiveness towards the offenders and even towards themselves. And as they release that anger, that bitterness, as they release that hatred from their hearts, I could witness light and understanding and peace and joy flood their hearts. Many of them began to experience healing in their bodies and in time healing in their relationships. Some of them experienced sudden breakthroughs in their jobs, in their businesses, in their lives as a result of their forgiveness. And then they began to live with this new meaning and direction in their life. It was like they could move on with the rest of their life just because they chose to let go of that heavy load that was holding them back in their hearts. Unforgiveness is powerful because it traps you in a prison, a prison of darkness. We are constantly being tortured by the memories of that pain, by the judgment that you give towards the people who offended you. But, unforg but, but forgiveness is more powerful because forgiveness is like the master key that unlocks you from every prison in your heart and releases you into the grace and the blessings of God. So today, wherever you may be in your walk with God, I believe if you are a human being and you are alive, you have experienced offenses, maybe. And today if you choose to obey this word, this is your freedom. This is your liberty today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And then we'll go to Matthew chapter 7. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. 
take heed to yourselves. Verse 3, take heed. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and seven times in the day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. If you are a human being, Jesus says, you will be offended. It is impossible that no offenses should come. It means that if you are going to live here on this earth for any amount of time, you will experience hurt. You will experience rejection. You will experience betrayal. You will be disappointed by people. The word offenses, you know what it means? It's a trap. A snare. A stumbling block. Something that causes you to be tripped up. And that causes your heart to enter into anger and bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness. Something that catches you unawares. Injustice. Maybe even people, you know, on the street calling you names or treating you badly is a cause for offense. No man can escape offenses. Because that's a fact of life. Whether you are a good Christian or a bad Christian, whether you are not wanting to offend anyone and live in peace with all, yet you will experience offense because that is the reality of life. Amen? But when offenses come, Jesus says you must pay heed to your heart. Pay attention to yourselves. It's so important how we guard our hearts when offense comes. Let me list some ways that offense can come to you. Some of the most common ways. Number one, through your parents. You can see that on the screen. Just a short list. Your parents can offend you. Some people have been rejected by their parents. Some people have been abandoned by either the father or the mother, even when they were in the womb or when they were little children. Some people have been abused by parents physically. Verbally, mistreated by stepfathers or stepmothers. Some of you, your parents are violent. They are alcoholics. They could not understand you. They did not love you the way you wanted to be loved, either your father or your mother. So offense usually in the first place comes from the home, within the home itself, or a brother or a sister. From the family. Secondly, People who have stolen from you, what do they steal? Your reputation. When somebody gossiped about you, your reputation was damaged. It was tarnished. How does that affect you when you hear people are gossiping about you, spreading lies about you? When we first started this church, I used to hear about certain pastors or church deacons saying wrong things about me, about the church, about what I preach. Even recently, about two or three weeks back, I heard, from some young people that these people are talking about you like that. In those days, it used to hurt me because they were stealing my reputation. Of course, now I'm just learning to walk in love and not get affected by that. But in those early days, I was really affected. And because when I was sleeping, I'll be thinking, why did they say that? And they don't even know anything and they are saying those things. It was like a torture on the inside. People can steal your sexuality. Through sexual abuse, whether physical, verbal, 
or extreme form of rape, your innocence could have been stolen from you. And now, instead of that purity, all you experience is that shame, that pain, that agony of whatever happened. It can happen through family members, through strangers, people that you trusted. It was stolen from you. How does that make you feel? The third thing is time. Time is a gift from God. And time is valuable to everyone. But if people came and stole your time, how does that make you feel? Nelson Mandela spent 27 years of his life in prison because of the racist white government in South Africa. And his crime was simply opposing the policies of the apartheid regime. He was put in prison, robbed of 20, 27 years of his life. And if you read his autobiography, it was a struggle internally to maintain forgiveness towards his oppressors for those 27 years. But when he was released from prison, he said this, As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I did not leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. He quoted this, Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That's why it's such a powerful weapon. One of the most powerful prayers you can ever pray is a prayer of forgiveness towards others. It's not weakness to forgive. It is powerful. It's a powerful Tao in your hands. Health. People can steal your health. What if your health was stolen from you through an accident? Someone pushed you, you fell down, you broke your leg. Or a car accident, not your fault, but the other person's. Or you went to the doctor, the doctor gave you wrong medicines, wrong treatment, and it affects your life. I was nearly killed when I was a very young boy, when the doctor gave me medicine which, that was meant for adults. I nearly passed away. So many people encounter such things. How do you respond in such a situation? Injustice at the workplace and jobs, society. People stole your job by giving it by connections to someone else. See, offenses can come so, through so many different ways. Rejection in a relationship. Rejection through friends. But Jesus said this, when offenses come, take heed to yourself. Pay attention to what is happening in your heart. Why? Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 2. Turn there. Take heed to yourself. He was saying, what is more important is what will happen in your heart. Judge not that you be not judged. The word judge there also means condemn. Not and you will not be condemned. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why is it so important to guard our hearts during times of offense? Because of this verse. If you are not careful, you will end up judging. You will end up in judgment. What does it mean to judge? It means you are trying to understand why it happened. How it happened. What was the reason why they abused me? You are trying to come to terms and find peace in your own reasoning about why it happened. So you're trying to ascertain why. You're trying to form an opinion of the event. 
you're trying to uh, decide about that person. Why did they do that to me? You're trying to find some conclusion. And in the process of trying to find a conclusion, you also arrive at certain decisions like he deserves this. I need vengeance from God. See, you come to that conclusion out of your own judgment. You begin to seek punishment for that person or even towards yourself. Let me give you some examples. Someone who has been cheated in several relationships, let's say by several women, unfaithful to him. He was in a relationship, she cheated him. He was in another relationship, she cheated again with her other friends. Because of his repeated hurts, he may form the opinion in his mind and heart that all women are unfaithful. That women do not deserve to be trusted. And then he will decide to close his heart. And he cannot trust women anymore. That's what it means to judge. You form a certain response out of the offense. Another example could be this. A young girl sexually molested by uncles and other people may judge the situation and come to this conclusion. All men are dirty and lustful. Because I've heard these words in counseling times. Out of the anger, they say, all men are like that. All men didn't do that to her. Two or three did. But the hurt causes them to judge the situation. And she's never able to have a healthy relationship with men in the future. Or she may judge whatever happens internally by saying, it is my fault. It was because I was bad. It was because I was weak. And thereby she will blame herself because of what happened to her. And take that shame and that pain. How? Because of judgment. Someone having negative experience with people of a certain tribe here in Nagaland or a certain village also, I don't know, may assume to know all the members of the tribe are all these people as thieves. Oh. Everyone from this village is putani ho. I'm sure you have said those words yourself, right? And so they form a judgment and that judgment affects their thinking. And it affects their response to those people and it closes their heart. You see, to judge means to come to a conclusion. Why someone did what they did and why you're going to act that way. Or a decision, why something happened. Like I said many times before, I met an army officer, Christian, who had an accident, his son passed away. And for many months, he was always questioning, why did this happen? Why? He was trying to find a reason somewhere. And many times, as parents, when we try to find why something happens to our kids, we end up blaming ourselves because of my decision, because I did not pray enough. So all that why, why, why was torturing him until God spoke to his heart one day and said, don't ask that question anymore. Just trust in me. So in any offense that you may have encountered, you may end up, number one, judging the person who offended you. It's his fault. It's because of him I am having this pain. And your heart is filled with bitterness. Your heart is filled with blame towards him. You start thinking that he deserves some things to come into his life. He's a bad person. You see, begin to judge He's a hateful person. 
and your heart is filled with bitter judgment towards that. Sometimes the offense is real. People have really hurt you. Sometimes the offense is imagined. I know people in the past who would come and tell me, Pastor, everyone is talking bad about me. I'm like, what evidence do you have they're talking bad of you? Uh, because I see them in the corner laughing. They look to my side and they are laughing. So I know they're talking bad about me. Did you hear the conversation? No. Do you know that they were talking bad about you? No. But more than they were in the corner looking towards me and they were smiling. And I know, and I know, and I know. They were talking bad about me. That's what we called an imaginary offense. See, even though it did not happen, to her it was real because her pain became real. Right? See, someone can come and lie to you. Hey, you know, your friend is saying bad things about you. Really? Suddenly your heart is boiling up, right? So for that moment, the pain was real. Later when you go and ask your friend, did you say that? No, I didn't say it. It was an imaginary offense, but the pain was real. The pain in your heart and mind was real. And that's why, see, your judgment makes your suffering ongoing. Even though the offense was not there. Are you following? Your judgment is so important, I tell you. Pain is optional. I'm, I'm sorry. Pain is inevitable. Everyone will go through pain. But suffering is optional. It depends on how you judge. Some people choose suffering and blame God. Imaginary offenses. Ah, yeah. I saw him on the street. He did not even say hi to me. Now, Nagamano have this thought, na, hisab nide do. Hisab nide. I mean, kiliman hisab lagi ho. Mugi hisab nukri ho. Chutu manu ase babi nagi. And usually, Chutu manu say that also. Now, that person may be so busy, he could not think of anyone. He was just walking home very fast. But he missed saying hello to someone and that person was so offended. Small offense. But his judgment, she or he judges him. You know, I know. Baba, government, but you tell how we start thinking of all these reasons why people are rejecting us. See, your mind is like, you know, it's like a magnet that draws all the negative reasonings. And so you judge. You judge the situation. When you judge, it was a very small thing. He did not say hi. But because of your judgment, the pain becomes big. That burning here becomes big. It's how you judged. So you judge the person. Number two, you begin to judge yourself. I've heard many people say this, I will never forgive myself for what happened. Have you ever said that? I will never forgive myself for what I said, what I did. People blame themselves because of certain things that they have experienced. They say it's my fault. I did not pray enough. I did not fast enough. They condemn themselves. To judge means to condemn yourself, to put yourself down. See, it's true, you cannot change the past. But 
Healing is in your hands. And the future is in your hands. If you will just learn to forgive yourself. The third thing is this. People judge God. People end up judging God. I prayed, I fasted, and yet my father died. God, how could you do this? Or they say, it's God's fault that this happened. Why did God allow this to happen? And so they end up in bitterness even towards God. They prayed, they fasted, they wanted only good things, but bad things also came. And they get stumbled because I thought Jesus is my Savior. Yeah, Jesus came to save you from your sins and to save you from the curses of the law. But Jesus also said, in this world you will go through tribulation. So Jesus did not come to save you from every single problem. But even in the midst of your problem, He will give you the strength to overcome. He will give you the wisdom to come out of it. He will give you the courage in your heart to have hope. Amen. Because every problem is not temporary. It's not eternal. It is not permanent. It's temporary. So you can come out of it. But people begin to blame God for the problems. See, why is it so important to guard your heart? Because your judgment of every situation is a critical factor in the power of unforgiveness. Your judgment of yourself, of God, of other people leads to the prison in your heart. That's why verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, Matthew 7 verse 2, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is very important to understand. How you judge the situation or the person, Jesus says, you will be judged in the same manner. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Don't misunderstand. Not from God. Jesus is not saying God will judge you if you judge others. No. It's not God who's going to judge you. It's people. See, God's not going to judge you today because Jesus was judged on your behalf. But because of your judgments, you are still judged you still experience a life of being judged, not from God, but from people and from your own thoughts, your own faith. All right? Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to 38. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Jesus is not saying God will judge you back. No, it's from people, the context. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you did, that you use, it will be measured back to you. The context of these verses is people. People. If you don't judge people, people will not judge you. But if you judge people, they will judge you back. If you condemn, they will condemn you. If you forgive, they will also forgive you. So if you give Love in your relationships, it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. This is not a giving verse, even though it can be applied to giving. This is more a relationship verse. Amen. Let me explain to you how this can happen. When you judge a certain tribe, a certain tribe, and you condemn that tribe as thieves, as violent or as proud, thinking that you are protecting yourself by your judgment, you're actually creating an internal world of conflict and pain yourself. And so, 
your, your, your response towards the tribe people is affected. Your mindset is affected. And unknowingly, because these are spiritual laws in operation, the way you treat them, they also begin to treat you the same. Are you following me? See, when you judge that man who hurt you, and you blame him, and the offense is constantly in your heart and mind, you are creating a source of abiding torment in your mind whenever you think of him. So according to how you judge that person, it is measured back to you in pain. It is measured back to you in suffering and abiding conflict within you and it keeps on disturbing you. Are you following? See, when you judge that ah, I'm experiencing this because of my mistakes, because of my sins, because God rejected my prayers, you begin to feel more and more unworthy. You begin to feel more and more condemned. And you begin to feel farther and further away from God. You begin to feel more and more rejected by God. And after a while, you're going to stop coming to church and you're going to stop walking with God. Why? It's not that God is rejecting you or God is judging you. Your own judgment is being measured back to you. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you and your judgment is now affecting your life. Your decisions and your heart is being measured back to you according to how you judge. You see, your judgment comes back to bite you. Your judgment of any situation comes back to torment you. Comes back to torture you. Are you following? You see, when you condemn yourself, even though you are not supposed to condemn yourself, but if you condemn yourself, you have judged that because of your unworthiness and your perfections and your weakness, you deserve it. You condemn yourself. Your judgment of yourself is causing you to be in that state of weakness, in that state of dejection and depression. It's not from God. From God, there is forgiveness. From God, there is grace. From God, there is love towards you. For God so loved the world. God is love. He cannot stop being love. Even when we are in our weakness, in our sins, in our failure, He remains love. God is love. Can you say amen? But we have judged Him as anger. Angry towards me because of my imperfections and my sin and my judgment comes back to me. It is measured back to me by myself. And I get more and more distant from God and I begin to justify that I deserve this sickness. I deserve this situation in my life. I deserve these problems. And I continue to stay in that state of weakness. Defeat. It's my own judgment. That's why Jesus says, judge not. Do not judge. Why? Only God has the authority to judge. Not us. You know why? Only God knows everything about the situation, everything about the person, the motives in the heart, why they said that, why did they do that. Only God knows. You yourself don't even know your own heart at times why you did certain things. Only God knows. Why did this happen? Only God knows. We prayed and fasted. Why did my father die? Only God knows. Not you. 
That's why Jesus is saying, do not judge. Leave all judgment to God. Our part is to trust. Not in our own reasonings. Not in our own arguments. But to trust in the goodness of God. Hallelujah. You see, to judge is to, tear, to try to take the place of God. When you're trying to judge a person, a situation, an event, yourself. You're taking the place of God. And whenever you try to take the place of God in your life, the grace of God is hindered. A side topic. If a mother is trying to take the place of God over their children, the grace of God is hindered over their children's lives. If you are trying to be God over your own finances, grace of God is hindered over your finances. That's why our part is never to take the place of God, but always to be in the place of humility, and trust, and dependence. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12, God says, leave all judgment to me. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So when we judge, we often want vengeance. We want to act judge. You deserve this. I condemn this. We have bitter opinions that we form towards others. God is saying, leave all of that to me. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Says the Lord, verse 20, this is your response. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil or unforgiveness, but overcome evil with good. Hey, hey, leave judgment to me. Your part, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Amen. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Bless him. For in so doing, now this is a Hebrew saying, heap coals of fire on his head. It doesn't mean that you're literally putting coals of fire on their head. It's that you're going to cause them to be humbled. You're going to cause their heart to be tender when you do that. That's what it means. Amen? So remember Luke chapter 17, verse 1. You cannot stop offenses from coming. It's impossible. But your response is your responsibility. Your reaction is in your hands. That is in your control. And that's why Jesus says, take heed to yourself. Guard your heart. He's saying this, your concern should not be about the fate of the offender, but your own. When somebody offends you, your main concern should be your heart, not about the other person. See, your response to life and events, what people said, what they did, what injustice you experienced, encountered, the pain, the rejection, the failures, the losses in life, all of these things we experience in life, but your response determines whether you're going to remain in that pain and hurt and confusion or you're going to overcome and walk away from that failure and that pain and that rejection and become stronger. All of us experience rejection. 
But some people, it destroys them, it crushes them, but some, they forgive, it makes them stronger. All of us will experience racism. Whether it's here or outside Nagaland, you will experience it. And every time fighting for your racist rights or your race rights is not the answer. The long-term solution is always to have a heart that is so filled with the love of God that no one can hurt you no matter how many times they are racist towards you. Why? Love never fails. Love is the indestructible force of the universe because God is love. Amen. So it's your response. Your response is where your victory is. And that's why in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 4, Jesus says, if any man comes and offends you and asks forgiveness, you forgive. Seven times if they do that, forgives even seven times. Jesus saying, your response is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. But as we read in Matthew 18, Peter seemed to have a problem. How many times should I forgive? Seven times? It's almost like Peter is trying to always find some adjustment somewhere. You know, maybe he's thinking, can I just hold on to a little bit of unforgiveness? You know, pastor, this person keeps on hurting me every day. I've forgiven, but my father has not changed. Every day he's the same. What did Jesus reply? Not seven times, but 70 times seven. In their culture, they understood this as unlimited times. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't count how many times you have to forgive. Don't keep an account of how many times you have forgiven that person. Your forgiveness should be unlimited. It's not seven times in a day. But unlimited. As often as you are hurt, keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. But pastor, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Every day, he keeps on doing the same things to me, hurting me again and again and again. He doesn't deserve it. You see, if you want God to treat you the same way you treat others, all of you will surrender. Right? Look at Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 32. The Bible says, Forgive one another in the same way Christ has forgiven you. Forgive one another in the same way Christ has forgiven. How did Christ forgive you? Completely. He still forgives you every day. He forgives every sin. Maybe millions of sins you will do in your whole lifetime. You are forgiven. He forgives freely, unconditionally. The Bible says forgive in the same way. Forgive in the same way. Can you say amen? Do you want God to treat you the same way you treat your offenders? Only seven times? Hold on to a little bit of unforgiveness? No. We want God to be gracious towards us. See, if God puts a limit to His forgiveness, where can we stand today? So in other words, God is saying, there is no limit to your forgiveness. Keep on forgiving. In the parable of the unjust servant, the message is this. In the same way I treated you, 
treat your fellow servants. In the same way I have forgiven you, forgive one another. In the same way. Unlimited. Amen? See, forgiveness is not an act of justice. It's not about whether they deserve or not. Forgiveness is an act of grace. Forgiveness is not an act of emotions. You don't have to feel forgiving. Forgiveness is an act of your will, your choice. It is an act, a decision of love. You don't have to feel forgiven. You don't have to feel love towards the person. You can be filled with hate and still forgive. And that act of forgiveness will remove that hate from your heart. See, just as Jesus obeyed God, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, my God, my God, if it is possible, take this cup from me. He was in pain and agony at the prospect of going on the cross, bearing all our curse and our shame. He did not want to go on the cross, but he did it in obedience to the Father. And then on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. He wasn't having a pleasurable moment on the cross. He wasn't feeling thoughts and feelings of love for all of us. It was an obedience to the Father. It was a sacrifice. And even in the midst of the sacrifice, he says, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. God wants us to forgive the same way. It is painful, but forgive. Remember Stephen when he was being stoned? Just before he was about to die, he says this, Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Father, do not charge them with this sin. Do not put this sin into their account. God wants us to forgive in the same way. Not only today, as we'll pray in a few moments, but every day of your life. Let me give you this true story of Corrie ten Boom. She was arrested for hiding Dutch Jews from the Nazis in 1944 and sent to a concentration camp where she survived the horrors of the camp. But her beloved sister died in that camp through the tormentors oppressing her. But she walked out of the camp in a decision to forgive her tormentors. And that's why she began to travel around the world talking about forgiveness. Three decades of travel around the world, forgiving and sharing the message of forgiveness of sins to the people who offended her. She herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a church in Munich in Germany. At the close of the service, a man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man. He was one of the most vicious guard at Ravensburg concentration camp. One who had mocked the woman as they showered. And she says, it came back with a rush. The thoughts, the memory, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the room. The shame of walking naked past this man and this man mocking them. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake her hand and saying, that was a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. 
And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He thought, she thought he would not remember me. How could he remember one person among those thousands of women? But I remembered him, she says, and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood began to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk that God was saying, I was a God there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear from your own lips as well, dear sister. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I who since had again and again to be forgiven from God myself, I could not forgive. My sister had died in that place and I could not erase her slow, terrible death simply by this man asking forgiveness. The soldier stood there expectantly waiting for me to shake his hands. I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that I had to obey the message that God forgives. Standing there before this former SS man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. So she prayed, Jesus help me. And by faith she thrust out her hand. And she says this, As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raised down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power, but when I obeyed, the power of the Holy Spirit took over. And that's what happens when you forgive. The power of God takes over your life. I remember my own story. I was in boarding school for seven years of my life. And the first three years of boarding school was an unimaginable torture for me. Almost every day I was being bullied by all the boys, beaten up, and sometimes even sexually abused. Not in a very bad way, but teased sexually to the point where it really affected me in my emotions, in my mind. And I began to judge myself as inferior, as weak, as helpless. And I realized this. When I judged myself as weak, I felt weak. When I judged myself as inferior, I felt inferiority complex. And when I judged myself as timid, timidity manifested in my life. Remember, with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's what happens in your life because of your judgments. I began to judge myself because of all the offenses that I experienced. And of course, my heart was filled with bitterness towards those boys, the elder boys. And my imaginations were imaginations of murder, imaginations of revenge. And like the Bible says, if you hate your brother, you are in darkness. And you're walking in darkness. You're not making the right decisions. That's why many people end up drunk um, and drinking and in, and in drugs because of anger towards the parents. You end up making a wrong decision in relationship because of anger towards someone. Because you are in darkness because of your offense. 
It was only after I came to Christ and I, number one, recognized my sin. Number two, made the decision to forgive all of these people. Number three, I made a list of every offense. I took time. I made a list of every offense and every person. And I started to forgive them by name and by the event, by my choice. And I stopped blaming God and myself. Prayed specific prayers of forgiveness. This is what they did and I forgive. This is what he did and I forgive. And as I began to do that, I also experienced the power of God in my heart, setting me free. See, love is a place where you can be truly free, completely. See, when Jesus died, he was buried for three days and three nights. But on the third morning, he rose from the dead. There was a resurrection. Even though sin caused him to die, yet there was a resurrection because of his sinless, spotless, righteous sacrifice. And that is why if you and I will do the same like Jesus, we forgive even though it may feel like a death to us. It may feel like we are laying down our pride, our justification. This is my right. God is not saying, claim your right. God is saying, forgive. Many times in forgiving, we have to lay our rights, lay our pride, lay down our ego. I deserve justice. Yes, but God is saying, lay it down. Just forgive. Vengeance is mine. Leave it to me. That's what God is saying. And when we do that, guess what will happen in your life? You will experience a resurrection in your own heart. You will experience the power of God's grace in your life. In simple decisions to forgive. You will experience your own resurrection morning and I tell you, your life will never be the same again. Amen. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes? If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.